Welcome to the Cal Current Podcast, presented by the Law Offices of Snell and Wilmer. This is a legal podcast that examines a variety of current legal issues that affect individuals and businesses here in California and beyond. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. I'm Nathan Canute, your host for this episode of Cal Current. Today, we're going to be discussing the recent United States Supreme Court decision in City of Chicago versus Fulton. Before we dive into the opinion, though, it will be helpful to set out some basic terms that I'll be using and discuss, at a high level, one specific bankruptcy law concept. Throughout this episode, I'll refer to a person or company who has filed bankruptcy as a debtor. I'll also be referring to anyone that has a claim against the debtor or to whom the debtors owe money as a creditor. We will also talk a fair amount about what the courts and bankruptcy attorneys refer to as the automatic stay, which is the portion of the bankruptcy code focused on in Chicago versus Fulton. Under the bankruptcy code, when a person or company files a bankruptcy petition, the automatic stay provides the debtor a breathing spell. That breathing spell occurs when the petition is filed because creditors are automatically stayed from doing things like continuing litigation obtaining possession of or exercising control over property of the debtor, or taking actions to collect a debt that are incurred before the bankruptcy filing, just to name a few. If you want the full list of the actions that are covered by the automatic stay, you could take a look at Title 11 of the United States Code at Section 362A. One practical question, which has confounded bankruptcy attorneys and courts regarding the automatic stay is whether a creditor who seizes the debtor's property before the debtor files for bankruptcy, violates the automatic stay if the creditor does not voluntarily return the property to the debtor. Specifically, the question has been whether maintaining possession is considered exercising control over the property of the debtor or the bankruptcy estate. This issue commonly comes up with pre-petition repossessions and seizures of vehicles, and that's precisely the context in which it arises in the Fulton case. In Fulton, the city of Chicago had seized several vehicles for unpaid tickets and citations. The owners of those vehicles all filed bankruptcy petitions after their vehicles were seized. After the debtors filed their bankruptcy petitions, though, they asked the city of Chicago to return their vehicles. The city refused to voluntarily return the vehicles. The debtors then asked the bankruptcy courts to find that the city had violated the automatic stay through its refusal. Each bankruptcy court held that the retention of the vehicles did violate the automatic stay. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals affirmed that determination, finding that the city's retention of the vehicles after the bankruptcy filing was, quote-unquote, exercising control over the property of each debtor. The Seventh Circuit, in making this determination, reached the same conclusion as three circuit courts. However, it was at odds with decisions from two other circuit courts. The Supreme Court, therefore, was poised to resolve this split in authority when it decided the Fulton case. The Supreme Court's decision, which was published on January 14, 2021, and written by Justice Samuel Alito, starts out with a textual analysis of Bankruptcy Code Section 362A3, which roughly provides that a petition filed operates as a stay applicable to all entities of any act to obtain possession of property of the estate or of property from the estate, or to exercise control over property of the estate. The Supreme Court, looking at the words stay, act, and exercise control, determines that the most natural reading of those terms leads to the conclusion that they prohibit 
affirmative acts that would disturb the status quo of estate property as of the time when the bankruptcy petition was filed. In other words, the language of this specific provision of the automatic stay implies that something more than merely retaining power is required to violate it. The Supreme Court then goes on to say that the existence of a separate turnover provision in Section 542 of the Bankruptcy Code decidedly resolves any ambiguity that may exist in the language of Section 362A3. By way of background, Section 542A generally requires, subject to some exceptions, that someone in possession or control of property of a debtor that can be used or sold by the debtor during the bankruptcy, or that is property that a creditor is not entitled to enforce a claim against, for example, exempt property, that that person turn over the property or the value of that property to the debtor or the bankruptcy trustee. First, the Fulton Court says that reading Section 362A3 to require automatic turnover would make the turnover provisions in Section 542 superfluous. Second, the court says that requiring the return of the impounded vehicles under Section 362A3 would place Section 362A3 at odds with Section 542. As you recall, Section 542 contains a few exceptions to the turnover requirement. If Section 362A3 required automatic turnover, the court says, it would do so even in cases where turnover would be explicitly excused by Section 542. Based on these statutory language and construction determinations, along with a brief statutory history discussion, the Supreme Court holds that the mere retention of estate property after the filing of a bankruptcy petition does not violate Section 362A3 of the Bankruptcy Code. The court specifically notes, though, that it is not deciding how the Section 542 turnover obligation operates or the meaning of any other subsection of Section 362A. The Fulton decision is generally considered a pro-creditor opinion. It has also been seen as encouragement for creditors to timely exercise their enforcement remedies before bankruptcy filing by the borrower. Those remedies include attachment, garnishment, and repossession of collateral. This pre-petition enforcement would allow the creditor, if the borrower does file bankruptcy, to demand through the bankruptcy court that the debtor provide assurance that the creditor's interest in the property is protected before the creditor is required to return the seized property of the debtor. That adequate protection requirement could possibly require a debtor to pay monetary payments to the creditor during the bankruptcy case. Creditors, though, should pay attention to the limitations specifically mentioned in the Fulton opinions, some of which are discussed in Justice Sonia Sotomayor's concurring opinion. We've already talked about one specific limitation, the court's decision not to address other subsections of 362A. Some of those subsections prohibit actions to create, perfect, or enforce a lien, and actions to collect or recover a pre-petition claim after the filing of a bankruptcy. Justice Sotomayor's concurring opinion expresses concern that the City of Chicago's conduct may have violated these specific provisions of 362A, even though the court is not deciding that issue one way or the other. Justice Sotomayor's concurring opinion also notes in a footnote that whether and when the creditor may sell impounded cars is an entirely different matter. It will be interesting to see where the courts draw the line between mere retention and actions that rise to the level of violating other automatic state provisions. It will also be interesting to see whether any action is taken 
on one of the additional concerns Justice Sotomayor raises. She points out that debtors often need their vehicles to get to work so that they can formulate and follow through on their repayment plan for their creditors. However, the court's decision has the practical effect of requiring a debtor to file an adversary proceeding to get that vehicle back. An adversary proceeding in bankruptcy court is roughly equivalent to a civil lawsuit. Justice Sotomayor points out turnover proceedings in bankruptcy court take, on average, over 100 days. She then points out that the bankruptcy rule drafters or Congress can address these timing concerns by providing expedited procedures for turnover actions, especially where the turnover of debtors' vehicles are concerned. We should all watch for any further bankruptcy rules or legislative developments in this area. We've come to the end of this episode of Cal Current. It's been a pleasure to be your host this week, and I appreciate your time. If you have any questions about the topic covered in today's episode, you can locate my contact information by searching Nathan Canute on www.swlaw.com or emailing me at nknute, that's N-K-A-N-U-T-E, at swlaw.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cal Current, a weekly podcast navigating California's legal landscape, brought to you by the law offices of Snell and Wilmer. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss? Please feel free to send us your topics to calcurrent at swlaw.com. Be sure to check out our website for more episodes and information about this podcast. We can also be found on all major social media platforms at SWLaw News. Thank you, and until next time.